Right. If you'd like a voice that's easy, expressive and human, if you want to deliver your words in a way that really makes your listener feel something, you know, and if you want a clearer voice during hay fever season, cold and flu season and even... Yikes, I've sung too loud at a Bon Jovi concert season. (laughs) Then join me for Mouth to Mic. It's my new online voice training programme that comes with its own private community of voice gigs, just like you. For all the info, head over to bit.ly forward slash mouth to mic. That's bit.ly forward slash mouth to mic. It's the Voice Coach Podcast with me, Nick Redman, your own personal voice geek ready to guide you through getting the most out of your speaking voice. If you use your voice for a living as an actor, podcaster, voice artist, speaker or presenter, then this is the podcast for you. Let's crack on. Here we are again. How the devil are you? I'm back with the third and final instalment of the Vocal Empowerment Chats. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying them. I had such a nice time talking to these women. And today I'm joined by the absolutely bloody wonderful Caroline Goider. So today's chat sort of weaves through how important the body is to vocal empowerment, how imposter syndrome can rear its head for all of us. There's a bit of stuff about NLP in there and confidence. It's really wonderful. In case you don't know who Caroline is yet, she worked for over a decade at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama in London as a voice coach, which is where we both trained actually in voice practitionering, if a few years apart. Caroline's also written three books, if you please. So there's Gravitas, uh, Star Qualities and Find Your Voice, which are all worth a little look. There's links in the show notes. And her TEDx talk, by the way, <laughs> The Surprising Secret to Speaking with Confidence, has been viewed over 9.5 million times. <laughs> if that's not going viral, I don't know what is. Caroline also speaks regularly at business schools and forums, and her clients have included, lordy, all sorts of people, from news anchors and reporters and actors to TV magicians and monarchs and goodness knows who else. She's basically got a wonderful reputation internationally as an expert speaker and trainer with all sorts of people. So there's brilliant stuff in here, like I said, about how we can feel vocally empowered through presence and what gravitas means or is or sounds like. And also the delightful idea that we're not all finished humans (laughs) and that's okay. That's what I took from this. You join us here in this interview, just chatting about the dreaded imposter syndrome, which comes up in one of Caroline's books, Star Qualities. That first book I wrote was the A-list actors talking about confidence, and it was such an imposter syndrome neutraliser because they all have it. And so you realise that everybody's got it. It's fine. <laughs> Everybody's got it. <laughs> but it's, th- oh, I mean, it, it was talking, you know, when Sarah Jessica Parker tells you she's got terrible imposter syndrome, you know that it's okay, right? There's nobody out there who's fixed. So it's made me very relaxed about all of those insecurities because I just think most people have them. Not everybody is fixed. That's so great. Okay, well, yeah. seeing as we're talking about empowerment, do you think knowing that or accepting that is in itself a little sort of step into empowerment, knowing that we're not fixed? Yes. Well, it's it's the classic, the, the cracks are how the light gets in, isn't it? It's that. It's the people who are fixed or think they are, are the ones who are really scary as speakers because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of held and 
fixed and they're aiming at some kind of perfect. And I don't know about you, but I just think voices are interesting when they're just gloriously imperfect. And yes, prepared. And yes, you've warmed up. And yes, you're centered. But there's a kind of looseness that's much more compelling. So perfection, I find really alienating if it even exists, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think also there's an element of perfection that is subjective as well. You know, it's a really hard thing to quantify. It's a dance, um, not a not a painting, isn't it? It's it's fluid. Communication is fluid. And if you if yeah. you're trying to aim at something fixed, you've you've already you're stuck. It's already moved on. How, do you think that's the same when it comes to recorded versus live speaking? So a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are recorded voice users, whether that's mm. podcasting or voiceover. Do you think it still or can still feel like a dance or like something that's really fluid? I can speak to recording audiobooks because when I recorded Gravitas, I was aiming for some kind of perfection. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it in the Audible studios and they said, sit down. And so I sat down and I was quite obedient because it was the first one I'd done. And I don't like it when I listen to it. It sounds too like this hard work, like that, that narrator's working really hard. And find your voice, we did in lockdown. And I went to this rock and roll recording studio in North Hampshire <laughs> with, with these proper rockers with guitars on the, on the wall. And I stood up with a music stand and did it. And we had a, a producer down the line at the publishing house listening to it. And that, I'm proud of that recording. And it is, I was having fun. You know, we were making jokes. I was standing up, I was gesturing. And I'm much more pleased with that recording. So, and that was looser. So that's what I can speak to. When you've got a bunch of ad execs staring at you and they want the perfect clip, then I suspect <laughs> it's very, very different. different. Yeah. Physical empowerment seems to take a place there in those the difference of those two recording environments then. You know, the first one you were sat down, you did what you were told. The environment was very official. Second time you were up, you were moving. So a lot of it's, I think, definitely about the body, right? Oh, Keeping that flu everything. fluidity in the body. Everything's, I mean, it's all about the body in the end, isn't it? I think your your world is is more niche in the sense that in the way that singing teachers have to be much more precise. But I think my world is because people are on stage or they're, you know, doing big team calls or all hands, people aren't listening to their voices with the same degree of kind of focus. And I think for them, the body is everything, actually, because people are looking for congruence. They're listening for congruence. Mm. If you're recording something and you need perfect articulation, then I think possibly the calculation's a bit different. But for my stuff, I, yeah, the body's everything. Yeah, I think I agree. I think I, I think a connection to bodies are almost more important than the than the perfection in the articulation and that kind of thing because it's I don't know it just brings the right energy and that like you said centered earlier the word centered centered and grounded and that kind of thing physically having that presence in the body. So we did sort of the same course at Central, sort of technical voice training, right? To be a voice practitioner with the techniques of the voice, the instrument. How did you end up moving and writing those books on star qualities and gravitas and things then? So I think that there's two two things. One was Alexander Technique, which arguably was already in that course. But the other thing was neuro-linguistic programming. So when I left, three things happened. I said to Barbara Hausman, who was became my coach at the time. I don't know my voice. And that was after the course. And so I was working with her. I started doing a lot of Alexander Technique, which, oh my God, changed my life. 
And at the same time, I was doing a lot of neurolinguistic programming. And for anybody who doesn't know what it is, it's, it's a way to unpick our linguistic and psychological patterns. And CBT, you know, there's lots of similarities and things like CBT, but it's a really, really useful toolkit for confidence. And because I was learning it, I started to teach it. And then it started to meld with voice to produce something. I don't, I don't really know what it is. It's not conscious in me, but it's a system for voice and confidence that flows quite neatly together. And I use it with clients instinctually. I don't really notice when voice starts and NLP finishes. Mm. And I think that Star Qualities is really a book, although it doesn't say it, asking actors about strategies that already exist in NLP. But I didn't want to scare the horses. So I didn't say, this is your programming. Just kept it <laughs> quite subtle. <laughs> did you interview them or did you just ask them for their opinion? Sort of, you know, written down or whatever? No, I mean, it was fully interviewed. So it nearly killed me. I mean, it was... Because <laughs> trying to get to US actors past their publicists. I mean, I learned quite a lot. Just I spent a good year just trying to get to actors and running interviews. And then I had to take all the interviews and turn them into a book. But I mean, just the process of talking to them is fascinating. Mm. I learned so much. And the main lesson was what we've already talked about. It's that feeling nervous is normal. Even when you are in the public eye to that degree, it's just par for the course. What about nerves then, seeing as it's come up? What can we do if we're in that speaking situation we're about to do a big audition or you're about to do a session with loads of execs in the in the across the glass or you're doing a, a really big podcast interview that you're really excited about or a big live broadcast or something. What can we do about the nerves? So my belief about nerves is that they're a really, really good sign. And it's how we flip them. When we're feeling nervous, it, what I notice in myself is that I get a lot of internal dialogue. I get really rushed. I beat myself up. My head gets very noisy. So the first thing I will teach clients, and I'm sure you teach clients as well, is just to become more embodied. And just that simple piece about really coming back to, like, I can feel the air on my face right now. I can feel the clothes on my skin. And it's just coming back to the facts. And then mm. there's something about really from that base of just pure presence, tuning into audience. And not, not thinking about yourself, not thinking about what you're worried about, but really just tuning into how you can help them and what they need from you. And personally, these days, I do loads of surveys. You know, I spend quite a lot of time asking people what they want before I speak, because going into these big live situations, if I know what people want, if I've got 10 questions that they've asked before the session, I feel so much more confident. Mm. And you can always ask people what they want before. If it's an interview... You can have a relaxed conversation with a sponsor beforehand. You know, if, if you're going into a recording studio, there's always someone you can talk to in terms of what they're looking for. And any information that takes you out of yourself into the audience perspective is going to unlock the presence. It's going to flip the nerves into something more interesting. They're still going to be there, but they're mm -hmm. in service. Okay, so you said the word presence there as well, which I think is really important, particularly when it comes to, you know, one of your books, Gravitas. I feel like presence is a huge part of that. Can you unpack what you think presence sounds like or feels like in the body for you? It's, I think um, someone I interviewed for Gravitas put this really well. He, he said it's that northern word, bottom. <laughs> it's, it's that <laughs> sense of, of weight. Someone has a, a weight to them. They, they're settled in who they are. 
They're not trying to be something. They're not lost in internal dialogue that takes them away from you. They're just with you and in themselves. And I think that quality is rarer and rarer because we're so triggered by our devices and we're so, we're so speedy, you know, hands up me too, that just coming back to this kind of settled, centered, physical place where the breath is steady and your feet are grounded, that's such a gift. If you were to suggest a couple of things that could help people find that kind of physical things they could try before an interview or a big recording or something to feel that presence, what would you suggest? I think it's different for everybody. I mean, I love chanting. It's not for everybody, but I just think I if think you do, we need. I think we need to do some. Do <laughs> yeah. <that's- laughs> I mean, hey, yo, yo. <laughs> I'm more of an om, just a nice long om, mm. or a hum, just anything. I like the love the naked voice, and my brain is not working today, and I can't remember the name of the woman who created the naked voice. But she has some great CDs that you can just chant along to. There's a whole load of research, polyvagal theory, have you come across? And you know, in a nutshell, a long out breath slows your heart rate, centers your nervous system, helps you access the parasympathetic nervous system (PNS) which is where we're at our best, our most fluid, our voices are more musical. And of course, chanting or singing, doesn't have to be fancy, is a long out breath. And Mm. I notice when I'm rattled or jumpy, if I have something like this, if I chant for five minutes, it just, it takes the edge off. And you could just sing along to a Queen album. You know, it doesn't doesn't have to be be an om, but for me, that that does it. Chanting, I suppose, is a nice way in, or arming is a nice way in for people who maybe the feeling or the idea of singing along to something terrifies the bejesus out of them. You know, if it's if it's something that's not singing, aesthetically, I think it's slightly more accessible for some people. A performance training makes it worse because you kind of know that you should be hitting some level of perfection. So yeah, I think anything that's just a relaxed out breath, I mean, it could just be breath, is going to centre you. Out breath, let it go. And you said feet on the floor as well earlier, which I think is a good one as well. Get those feet on the floor. Let she them says, spread out. Yeah. yeah, feel them. We're rushing about so much, you know, and it, I just, I, I feel the impact of devices on my breathing and my voice and I'm just fast and jumpy and rattled. Five minutes of chanting, shift it. Chanting, there we go. Put that in your toolbox. Oh yeah. I'll do a podcast episode on chanting, different chants. Chloe Goodchild, <laughs> now her name's come back. Yeah, Chloe oh, Goodchild. Great. Chloe Love Goodchild, her. okay. Love her work. Great. So with Gravitas then, what does Gravitas mean to you then for anyone who's not read the book? I wrote the book because I was being asked to, do it. So they would say to me, we've got this executive and we think he or she needs more gravitas. And I kind of knew what it meant. And it was kind of embodied presence, you know, executive presence, whatever you want to call it. But I, I wanted a bit more than that. So I went back to the ancient world and I looked at what they were saying about gravitas. And it, it just means weight, seriousness or dignity. And it's a Roman virtue, basically. It was one of them, like levitas, or you know, there were all sorts And it was something that as a man in the Roman world, you were expected to have. But I kind of needed a bit more than that because they weren't really teaching people how to do it. It was just something that you had or you didn't. So I went to Aristotle and he talks about ethos, logos and pathos. Your character, your words, your logic and your emotion. And I kind of played with that and turned it into knowledge plus passion. Knowledge plus passion plus, I've forgotten, it's so hot, that's quite funny. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you forgot your own method. That's all right. 
It has never happened before. So knowledge plus passion plus purpose minus anxiety. And uh, my brain really doesn't function in heat. It's quite funny. When I had that, it started to kind of solidify. And I started to look at people who had that quality. And I could see that actually it, it bore out that if you look at and we're not, let's not talk about people on the political stage at the moment. But if you look at good speakers, they're clear in what they know and what they don't. That's really important. They have a sense of purpose, which isn't about their own ego. That's massive. Because if they have purpose for themselves, then it's charisma. And then there's a sense that they have passion that when they speak, they kind of light you up. It, there's, they care about it. And that also speaks to gravitas being like gravity. There's a kind of downward force in gravity. And then there's an upward force. There's a lightness. And I think people who have real gravitas, they're not just heavy. They also have a kind of lightness. And then the final piece is minus anxiety. It's just that self-regulation. Because if you're leading, you have to be able to handle the nerves. You have to be able to handle the difficult moments because otherwise you're going to throw people. So even even though I sometimes forget my equation, it does bear out pretty well still. <laughs> I think it's interesting what you said there about when you lead, you need gravitas. So people feel confidence and that kind of thing in you. I think there's definitely something that can be translated onto the microphone there when, when you're a voiceover artist in terms of gravitas and presence and as a podcaster, because like I was working with a client, uh, I did a voiceover for a client two days ago and they'd never used a voiceover before and that you could tell that they were nervous about working with me and and trying to get whatever they needed from me because they also had the main client on the line and they were for the regional campaign from which I was voicing and then there was the producer on the line as well and they're there going oh thanks so much for doing this and then the client's like well we need this 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 and the producer's like levels levels mic checks mic checks and you do have to sort of find a little bit of I don't know if it's like humble gravitas or like vulnerable gravitas in yourself as the speaker to own your own little space and be able to confidently do the job that they've asked you to do. I love that. And I, I think that's a really big part of it. When we make ourselves the hero of the drama, it becomes highly dramatic and charged and exhausting. And when we remember that we're just a character in the drama there are lots of other characters there's the producer there's the agents you know <laughs> then we kind of we we relax into our own role and we kind of listen to others and it's just easier so i definitely think that charisma is about being the hero on stage and owning it and what is it main character energy that kind of very modern phrase that i just think <laughs> oh my god it sounds exhausting it's not main character no, energy you. it's just you're just part of the cast you know and that's that's allows you to be present and slow down and, and just Keep it simple. That's a lovely way of managing you in one part of the room and 68 people from the other company on the other side of the glass. Like you're you're all on the same cast. That's a really nice reframe, I think. You know, whether it's an audiobook or a podcast with a, another person you're interviewing, they're also on the same cast. Like you're all part of the same production. That's really nice. I feel like Gravitas has to play a part in empowerment as a speaker. Yeah, and, and I, th I do think with empowerment, there's two sides to it. I think empowerment partly is about creating space for others to speak in that it is a feedback loop and as empowered as we're feeling if we're not being heard it only goes so far but that being said we only really have agency over ourselves in the moment so when you hit a moment where people aren't giving you space aren't giving you attention aren't hearing you fully then I think it's really important not to take on that feedback and make it personal I just think you have to teach people how you want to be treated 
And that's a big principle in the book. And that's hard. But I think it comes back to why am I here? Who do I serve? They might not be in the room. And what do I need to do to serve? And then it's not so much about you anymore. I think that really helps people sometimes. Because if you make it about your own psychodrama, they're not listening to me. Then we're back to being seven. <laughs> you know? No, thank you. Um, <laughs> I think I don't want that. No, exactly. <laughs> <But> it's, <laughs> yeah, well, it's like what Barbara Houseman always says, because I know we're both big Barbara fans, <laughs> is that like turn the cameras outwards, focus on flip them, it. flip exactly. it around. It's where we're at our best, whether you're playing tennis or whether you're speaking, you know. So what do you think in terms of empowerment then in the moment, what do you think like vocal empowerment sounds like to you? Could you put words to it? Ease. I mean, it's that feeling, Michael Chekhov's feeling of ease. Mm, Ease. That sounds nice, doesn't it? It is a feeling of ease. Like You can be fancy and say it's other things, but I am always looking for who is this person and are they showing up when they speak? Is who they are showing up or are they holding or hiding or suppressing so I'm looking at how are they breathing and then I'm looking and listening for what internal thoughts might be blocking them it's it's what mm-hmm. are the blocks that are stopping you fully showing up and often it's that they're rushing or holding their breath or talking to themselves in a really negative way in their head you can definitely hear that in performances, I think, and in podcasts, you know, sometimes no matter how hard you try to connect to the character or get the words across, if you're having a moment of imposter syndrome, it, comes um, out. it sounds tense and held and stifled maybe, or yeah, there's definitely less ease. It's, it's that thing they say when someone's not listening, you know, they're not listening because there's a delay in response. And I think mm. we hear that when someone's not listening because they're talking to themselves in their head. And I think you hear it in a voiceover. This, it's like there's somewhat, there's something else there. I mean, it is Barbara has it's had this camera out again, you know, she always yeah. nails it. Yeah. Cause if you're there going, I need to sound empowered and I need to sound like I'm owning the space and I need to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Then it's constantly you giving yourself the directions to sound a certain way rather than focusing outwards and holding the space in terms of how you're trying to affect the listener. Yeah, it's that, it's that dance, isn't it? It's, da- it's always dancing. And you can learn the dance, but then when it happens, you just have to forget it and just dance. And you might get the steps slightly wrong, but just, just keep going. Just keep going and, and something else will come. Just keep moving. And, and I th- a lot of people speak and they're kind of looking at their feet. You know, they're going, oh, and I'm just going to do that. And, the, and that, it just gets incredibly tiring for listeners. Yeah, they, they're literally dancing from foot to foot, which isn't quite the dance that you mean. No, I'm kind of, I'm in a lovely tango, you know. <laughs> One person tango. Yeah, yeah. Back and forth across the stage. <laughs> I love that idea of it being a dance, like some kind of beautiful choreography between speaker and listener. Or even just a great boogie. I mean, I think sometimes it's, it, my dad plays a lot of jazz and it's like, it's like watching great jazz musicians or not even great jazz musicians, just jazz musicians having loads of fun just riffing and yeah they know the notes and vaguely they have a sequence but really they're just being playful Mm, and i think great oh it's important that's so ease and play ease plus play over choreography equals empowerment to the power of two your math yeah, is that, way better than mine that'll be the, title, the very very catchy title of my book <laughs> your TED talk I'm, I'm so waiting for this 
You're going to have to dance, though. <laughs> My TED dance. Yeah. Viewed for 7 million people, but for a very different reason. Watch this woman have a breakdown live on stage. <laughs> Maybe that can be our collaboration. Dance and, like, voice. <laughs> you so don't want me dancing. That is quite funny. <laughs> I can boogie. I can boogie. What about then, let's continue this dance metaphor for a minute, but what about when the dance goes a bit wrong and you're you're start empowered and you're feeling great and you're delivering your information and then the person receiving the information or the interview you're doing doesn't go right and you get a bit knocked? It's about being okay with it not having gone the way you thought, isn't it? It's about accepting that this moment has happened and just then moving on. Like, I mean, that lovely metaphor of when the glass of wine goes over on stage, mop it up in character and then move on. What most people do is they beat themselves up about the mistake, which is, oh, no, I've knocked over a glass of wine on stage. It's a disaster. You know, Mark Rylance would not do that. <laughs> he would knock the glass of wine over, you know, lick it up from the floor, <laughs> throw some over his fellow actors and then get on with the play. You know, it would all just it would all just happen. And I think it's back to not overthinking perfection. And and sometimes I think naming what's gone wrong, you know, own up to the fact that, forgive me, just need to take a glass of water and then go back. That's okay. People don't mind that. What they mind is is when you beat yourself up and get anxious and uncertain, and then they're worried about you worrying. Yeah, because when that happens, that happens in voiceover situations when for whatever horrific reason, no matter how warmed up and how prepared you are, you just keep tripping up over the same set of words. Horrible, or horrible, yeah. sometimes I just get two words mixed up the wrong way. And no matter how long much they tell me, they're like, you still send those the wrong way around. I'm like, yes, okay. And the more you, sorry, the more you, oh God. And the more you, you know, the more people are like, oh, you just sort of lose them a little bit. So it's mm. just breaking state. And sometimes that just means stand up, get a glass of water if you can, just break state. Break state. Can you talk a bit more about what you mean by state? That's NLP. State is a way to describe where you're at in the moment. And, you know, if if the moment is anxiety, just physically moving the body, you know, emotion is as a cheesy cliche, but emotion is motion, isn't it? It's, it moves through the body quite quickly as long as you don't tell yourself a story about it. So simply standing up, getting a glass of water, even sitting back in your chair, having a stretch will move the state on and allow you to feel something different. And that and that's incredibly powerful when you get stuck. Unstick. That's, unstick. That feels like a really, a really nice cleansy thing. Like you, you can literally move the state, but like, I don't want this state. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just sort of physically remove it from yourself and move past it. There's a lovely story by a guy called Josh Pace, who's an actor in the US, and he talks about how his dad was a physicist in Einstein's lab. Listen to me with my fancy physics and equations. I'm terrible at maths. Who are quite you? Funny. This is amazing. It's quite, it's quite funny. And, and he said when he was a little kid, his dad was working in Einstein's lab, and he used to go there on his bike and cycle around, and he'd see in this lab all these equations on the blackboard. And so he said to his dad, what do you do all day? And his dad said, tomorrow morning at breakfast, I'm going to tell you. So he sits down and he says, dad, dad, tell me what you do at work. And his dad says, son, you see this table? And he touches the table. He says, it's made of atoms. You see this glass? Made of atoms. And he said, you, you're also made of atoms. That's what I do. And later, just, he, he was in New York. He was on Broadway and he was in this show and he had terrible stage fright to the extent that he thought he, would, he wouldn't make it. He wouldn't be able to continue. And he sat down one night and he thought, what did my dad say? He said, it's just atoms. So he said, what I'm feeling, this 
feeling of being sick and not wanting to go on stage and wanting to cry. It's just <laughs> atoms. It's just atoms swirling. And so he decided to name the swirling of atoms Mr. Squishy. <laughs> and it's just a reframe. Because if you name the atoms and if you become aware of the movement, then suddenly you've kind of controlled it. And so I think there is something about noticing a state, catching it, naming it, framing it, and then move on. That's lovely. Catching the state, catching it and reframing it and naming it. That's lovely. Put that on a mug. Catch yeah. it, reframe it, name it by Caroline Goiter. <laughs> Josh Pace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspired by. But hey. um, bringing it back to it just being atoms. We're all just atoms buzzing around, fizzing around. I do think with voice, it is really spiritual. I'm sorry, but voice is, you can't get away from the fact that the human voice is actually quite a spiritual thing. It's the essence of who we are. It expresses our spirit. So I think you can get quite philosophical and existential about it quite quickly. And I'm, mm. I'm quite happy to do that. Yeah, and I have to say, I fought that at the start of my training. I was like, I don't want woo-woo. I want the answer. Don't want all yeah. this nonsense. Just tell me what I need to feel and where I need to feel it and how I can make it happen. But I'm fully, like, I'm knees deep, I think, at this point. Knees moving to the upper thigh. <laughs> uh, in terms of embracing the spirituality, but that's come with uh, noticing the effects of, you know, personal traumas on on my own body and mind and voice, I think. And that's come from being older and having survived things and, and realizing that it does affect me, you know, and you can't take it for granted. Exactly. I think as we get older and we go through life's hurdles, I think you lose the kind of ego that says, Oh, I'm not. I, I'm not going to engage with that side of things because it engages with you, doesn't it? It comes. It comes for you. <laughs> and here's anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason that you know in church there's a lot of voicing. I mean, it doesn't mean we have to go to church, but there's a reason that humans have been doing that for a long time. Mm. And voice is very therapeutic. How whatever you do, just you're singing along, doing your chanting, voice warm up don't care what you call it. It's very good for you. It's very therapeutic. Right. Well, that's what we have to do. Then we have to start the the, the church of voice. Yeah. Voice church. <laughs> there can be a bar. There can definitely be a bar there. Sure. I'm up for that. Who wants to join our, our religious cult? And dancing. Voice? Lots of vibrations, lots of dancing, lots of atom chat, and also equations all underpinned by the equations. Should we have a rave? I think we should just have a rave. Um, but just to bring it back to what you said there about like taking the atoms, <laughs> taking your atoms, shuffling them around a bit, reframing them as something else. That feels quite important to me in terms of empowerment. Like if you're in that moment where you feel, oh God, I can't do this or I, I, I shouldn't do this or why am I doing this? It's noticing it, owning it a little bit and then moving on with it. It is. And it's that simple act of catching it, catching the awareness, noticing what's happening in your body that releases you from it. I love the idea of catching it. That's amazing. I talk about awareness a lot. Like it could be a drinking game in my circles. It's like, and what has that exercise done to you? You know, don't just do it because I tell you to like have an awareness of how it feels, how it's affecting you. And the idea of like catching the feeling as it's coming up or catching it as it's trying to escape or get to your voice, like catching it before it gets to your voice and just saying, no, you can go somewhere else. <laughs> or, or letting it out and letting it move on. There are two options, aren't there? There's mm, that's a good move point. it on through the breath. I mean, and for speakers, the, the reason I say this is if someone's nervous, one of the things I say is 
tell them you care. You know, so it's great to be here today. This really matters to me. It's really important. And you know what? I'm feeling a bit nervous. I probably wouldn't get them to say nervous because I think that incites the state. But saying Mm. you really care and you've been thinking a lot about this, that's just letting it, it's kind of releasing it. I love that though. Isn't that great? Even big old famous folks still get nerves and imposter syndrome. And look, we're all just normal trying to do our best. I also love the idea that it can be really empowering to be open and aware about when you're excited or nervous or feeling that very normal anxiety around the situation you're speaking in and that it's okay to voice that, you know. Anyway, find out more about wonderful Caroline and her next course, Mastering Your Meetings, at carolinegoider.com. You can find a link in the show notes. So that's it for the Vocal Empowerment Series. How wonderful. I feel very privileged to have been able to speak to those ladies, Tor, Samara and Caroline and help share their thoughts on empowerment with you. Oh, and remember to come join me in the Voice and Accent Hub over on Facebook as usual. If you pop your email address down on the way in, you'll also get my newsletter, The Fold, every fortnight with links to new podcast episodes and interesting voice finds and lots of tips and tricks for your voice. Needless to say, there's a lot to come in the next few months. I've been very busy. (laughs) I've got another set of free masterclasses coming up soon and the Vocal Empowerment Programme will be opening for registration again soon so keep your eyes peeled for that. For now though, next episode we will return to the usual scheduled programming (laughs) and a short episode answering another well-trodden voice quandary. If you have any voice quandaries that you'd like me to speak to, by the way, do let me know. Just slide on in my DMs there on Instagram at Nick Red Voice and we can have a wee chat. Right, that's it for now. Over and out. Thanks for listening to the Voice Coach Podcast. For even more tips, tricks, exercises and a general crack, head over to our Facebook community, The Voice and Accent Hub. Thanks again.